Welcome to the FemiPod. These are conversations about females for everyone to listen to, learn from and engage with. Brought to you by your Femi founders, Esther Kewen and myself, Lydia O'Donnell. Welcome back to the Femi Pod for episode 62. I am here with my beautiful co-founder Esther and today we have an incredible guest who is here to chat to us all things mindfulness and slowing down. Zoe Klein has been teaching yoga since 2015 and lives and breathes mindfulness practices. Zoe has recently joined the Nike team alongside myself here in Australia as the Nike yoga teacher and not only as a meditation instructor, is also a qualified psychotherapist. We're excited to chat to Zoe today to learn how, as female hustlers, we can balance our well-being. Welcome to the show, Zoe. How are you? I am really well, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, Firstly, can you take us back and tell us what got you interested in yoga and mindfulness? Yeah, it's a good question and it's so cliche, the answer, (laughs) but back in I think it would have been 2011 or 12 uh, I went on a trip to India (laughs) went uh, and practiced my first yoga class over there and actually really disliked it found it super super challenging as most people do when they practice yoga for the first time Um, but I don't know I guess it sparked something in me and when I came home from that trip I just did the classic studio hopping tried all of the different trials around Um, I guess it was kind of like back during just before like all of the the yoga trend really started to pop with with all of the boutique yoga studios and things so kind of slid in right at a nice time where there was some nice new studios starting to pop up and I um yeah found a couple of teachers and then I guess it all just snowballed from there but really was a full 360 um in terms of my my life and my purpose and my lifestyle which I'm sure we can get into all that kind of stuff but um yeah that's the simple answer yeah wow what actually took you to India oh gosh I would have been a couple of years out of school and I just yeah had the calling to to do some traveling and I don't know actually I just was really interested about the culture in India and maybe I'd had some friends who had gone and yeah I went traveled around for four months actually with my boyfriend at the time and yeah, God, it was it was the best thing I've ever done. I've been back once since to India and um, I imagine that I'll, I'll return back many times over. Yeah, wow, crazy. It's amazing how mm. the universe puts you in the right place at the right time, right? You're something driving you in that direction. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got so much to say about that. But again, I'm sure we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Can we start with mindfulness? I know we speak about it a lot at Nike as well, but what is mindfulness to you? Mm. Mindfulness to me is our ability to pay attention to what's happening right in front of us from a really neutral and non-judgmental perspective. For me, it's about engaging in all of my senses and my ability to, I guess, witness the way that my mind is unfolding in the sense that I can kind of step outside of my own subjectivity and actually look at myself from a higher perspective. Um, and in doing that, actually look at what's going on around me from a higher perspective. So I, I guess that kind of encompasses my personal mindfulness practice and what it means for me to be mindful. I love it. It's it's crazy what our thoughts can do to us if we're not aware and able to take a step, I guess, to the side and look internally and see what's happening because, yeah, thoughts can be quite brutal uh, if, they're, if they're negative. So it's, it's amazing to have that tool to 
mm. assess what's going on internally. But both Lids and I have suffered with our own mental health journeys and you're a qualified psychotherapist. Can you let us know what psychotherapy is all about and how can this sort of work help to support our emotions? Yeah, totally. Uh, so the feedback that I get is that the word psychotherapy sounds really scary <laughs> because it's not one that's, I guess, used as frequently as something like psychology or psychiatry. Um, but essentially, psychotherapy is the practice of therapy. So many psychologists or clinical psychologists out there practice psychotherapy when they sit with their, their clients if they're in clinical work. So um, you can think of psychology as psyche, the mind, and ology, the study of. So psychology really is the study of the mind. So if you take the uh, the study path to become a psychologist, um, you, you really learn about research and how to research and, and understand the human mind, whereas psychotherapy is therapy for the mind, which it's more about the application of therapeutic processes to create mental well-being or me mental change. So it's always a little bit of a clunky thing to describe the difference between them because at the end of the day, it's like you might just resonate with the theme of talk therapy. It's like often when we go through our mental health struggles, we need someone or we seek someone to help us navigate the ups and downs of life. And that's really what a psychotherapist is. Um, I would say the feedback that I've gotten so far, and, and I'm really diving into the difference between psychology and psychotherapy here. It wasn't quite your question, but I know that people will be interested because it's the question that I get the most. But the, the psychology training in Australia anyway seems to be um, quite medicalized in the sense that, as I mentioned, you really do learn to become a researcher and how to research the human mind. And that's around statistics and all of these things, which is brilliant. And then if you want to become a therapist, then you go and do clinical hours and that's how you get there. Whereas psychotherapy really is the direct pathway to the therapeutic application and it's very relational based. So the feedback that I get is that psychotherapy feels very warm and connected and really relational and often psychology can feel and I don't want to speak on behalf, you know, there are amazing psychologists out there doing wonderful things, but I just think that the, the difference in study pathways can sometimes dictate um, the way that the person learns to actually be in that therapeutic relationship. So for me in my practice, that's really what I focus on. I'm not there to label your problems or diagnose you because I'm, I'm not um, qualified to do so, but I'm really about building a really strong, robust therapeutic relationship so that you can feel really comfortable and open with me to open up your human mind, your psyche, so that we can start to kind of pick out the little things that are causing ruptures in our life and, and to really understand them from a place of kind of collaboration in a sense so that we can like really figure it out together because I think that that's what people need. People feel so isolated in their problems that sometimes it's just a matter of learning how to open up to another person and recognize that we're actually all just on this human struggling journey together. So hopefully that kind of answers maybe <laughs> a little bit of the question. Yeah, I think you answered that so well, but it also made me feel really like not scared of diving into these topics because I think it can be terrifying for a lot of people. I think there's probably a lot of stigma around seeing a psychologist and getting mental health help, which is there shouldn't be at all. We should all get, I believe we should all get mental health help at no matter what stage you're at in your mental health journey, whether it's prehab or rehab. But I think the way you put it, it does feel like something that I would do no matter what, just to improve my mind and my mindset mm -hmm. and maybe the relationship that I have with myself mm -hmm. as well. So um, we love that. It's really exciting. I think yeah. at FME, we speak a lot about the key differences between the sexes all of the time and not 
only around physiologically how male and females are different, but psychologically we operate differently too. Do you notice any key differences between your male and female clients in their minds? Oh, yeah, that's such a good um, question to ponder. I mean, firstly, to name that I work predominantly with females. Uh, I do have a couple of male clients and I don't think I have a straight answer for that, actually, because mental health is so complex. And at the end of the day, I guess the general theme that I notice, which goes across all genders and all people and all sexes, really comes down to this theme of self-worth and a feeling of enoughness. And it seems as though in some way or another, most mental health issues kind of come back to this core lack or feeling of lack. Um, and I guess the way that they manifest out in the world is very culturally biased, right? Because males have very different life experiences to females because culturally that's just the way things unfold. So I probably don't have too much more to say on it other than yes and no, <laughs> that perhaps at the core we're all a little more similar than people give us credit for, but the outer manifestations absolutely do change based on these kind of different cultural expectations that are placed upon us. So so interesting. I think self-worth is such an interesting topic and it's always going to be a journey to get to that point where you're super accepting of yourself and actually really love yourself and and value who you are and that's something Lids and I have been on a journey on together and getting mm-hmm. you know closer to a very good place but always there's struggles along the way and something that I we- would sorry sorry just another thought that's that's kind of arisen off the back of that is that something that I guess maybe feels obvious but that I have noticed is well in in my practice anyway females have been way more likely to actually reach out and seek help for their mental health which seems like an interesting kind of broader broader issue within itself that i think again females perhaps are encouraged or naturally are already in touch with their their feelings and emotions and are more likely to put themselves in that place of vulnerability and and actually reaching out whereas male clients that i work with it does it, it's it's a bigger hurdle to actually get themselves in the therapy chair. Um, And I think that, again, that says something about perhaps some of the narratives that accompany the different male and females positioning in life. Mm, Yeah, I'm sure it has a lot to do with like feminine and masculine energy. And we talk about it a fair bit, like that feminine energy of being more connected to your emotions and being more vulnerable and open. And then that's a barrier for men as in the past, it's been about, you know, showing no weakness in the form of emotions Mm. which to us is not a weakness but yeah I'm sure that has a lot of why that's happening um we also speak a lot about confidence at Femi and it's something that you know something that we can all work on and become stronger in how we feel about ourselves in terms of confidence but we know that women can lack confidence due to the systems of society that we've been brought up in and we're kind of talking about that a little bit just then um, but more on the flip side of of the male lens but what has your journey with confidence looked like? Oh well it's continually unfolding yeah um, so I'm still very much on that journey of confidence. I mean I think there's something to say about age and maturity that that has a lot to do with confidence. I think that um I guess, personally speaking, I definitely on the inside have always felt quite insecure, which in some way or another has been 
masked by a sense of confidence that I project out onto the outside. So often when, when I have these kind of more vulnerable conversations with people and I'm able to say, you know, like, yeah, I actually have a lot of internal struggle. Usually the feedback I get is, wow, you, no way. (laughs) Which is always so telling for me because it's like, oh God, wow, I am really doing a good job at this whole fake it till you make it thing. But I think that's sort of my experience of, of schooling and, and kind of earlier life, you know, perhaps I did put in quite a lot of effort to mask or prevent myself from really feeling my vulnerabilities and and that that definitely manifests in my adult life as, you know, constantly second guessing myself and, um, you know, imposter syndrome, which feels like a bit of a buzzword at the moment. But yeah, I guess I'm still very much in the process of really learning how to trust myself and, and remember and constantly remind myself of my own capability and capacity. And something that I've been practicing a lot lately is um, like internal validation. And it's something really, really simple that I've been practicing that has actually had quite profound impact on the way that I feel about myself and my self-confidence. And it's actually just at small moments throughout the day when I do something very seemingly small, but for example, I I do something that I say that I'm going to do, like I go for a run, that at the end of that, when I kind of catch myself being like, okay, I did that thing, I just take a little extra moment to be like, hey, like, good work. Well done. You did the thing you said you were going to do. And then that's it. And then I move on. And there's something about building this muscle, actually, of self-validation that started to compound so that when I kind of meet myself in those bigger life challenges, there's almost like this other voice that I've cultivated that can come in and be like, nah, like, we're totally good here. Like, you got that. So, you know, I think that it's the life journey, right, is to, like, really develop this sense of confidence from the inside out. And I think that because so many of these vulnerabilities that we experience through life, you know, we spend so much effort trying to push those away from us because no one teaches us actually how to process and feel our emotions properly, that, you know, it can take a long time and and can really take a long time to learn how to show that vulnerability to others. And like, to me, that's true confidence, right? Like, what would it look like actually just to be an open book? You know, not not in a way that's really unboundaried or or loose, but like, what would it be like actually just to be comfortable with expressing the entirety of my personality and who I am and how I'm feeling? And yeah, I'm I'm on the journey, right? Like, I'm I'm here and I'm on the podcast right now in this moment, and I'm talking about it. So that's a little step in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We appreciate you being so open with us. And it is interesting thinking about when I go to a yoga practice and a yoga class with other people, and I am not a yogi at all. I am probably the most inflexible person you would ever see, but I always leave class feeling really confident because I think, A, there's an amazing energy in a yoga class when you're all moving together at once, but also maybe it is because I'm being super vulnerable in a situation that Mm -hmm. I'm not 100% confident or comfortable in, but breaking down those walls, walking out of the class, I always feel so like at peace with myself, which is Mm. an amazing thing. I definitely should be doing yoga more often. (laughs) Do you think there's other things that all of us, women, non-binary and male allies can do to help to foster confidence amongst minority groups, such as women? Ways to foster confidence in women and minority groups. I mean, yeah, I don't know that I have a well well enough formed answer, but I think, yeah, I think it does come down to expectation. I think that if 
confidence really is, as I mentioned, like this ability to be ourselves, to, to be the full spectrum of ourselves and to feel comfortable and confident enough that that is enough to express that outwards to the world. And so the more that we can release our expectations of other, other people and actually allow them to step into who they really want to be versus who we want them to be or expect them to be, then confidence will prevail. Yeah, 100%. I think it is like giving giving people space that they deserve, right? Like everyone deserves space to speak and stand up. And I think for a lot of minority groups throughout all of history, we just haven't had that opportunity, the same opportunity mm. that men have had. So, And I also think that it's like it's a practice of listening, right? Like how does one break down the expectations of another person? Well, it's actually about listening to who they really are and who they want to be. And I think that yeah, the practice of listening has a lot to say for that as well because I think that as a culture and as a society that's not something that we're very good at doing we're good at telling and we're good at prescribing but we're not very good at actually stepping back and listening and observing what's going on around us Mm. yes I love that and you kind of touched on it before around uh, yoga and we spoke about how yoga can create that confidence through movement and I think running is very similar and same as surfing, we actually spoke about this a couple of days as it Zoe. Um, surfing, running, and yoga kind of like these three forms of movement that create this, like, I don't know, mindfulness space for you. Why do you think it is that sports like those three can do such a thing? Yeah, great question. And yeah, isn't it true that those, I mean, Often what I notice is that people who are drawn to yoga are also drawn to surfing, who are also drawn <laughs> drawn to, to running. So often it does seem to be a nice little trifecta. I don't know, maybe it's something to do with flow state. I guess speaking from personal experience, like they're all practices that are so simple, like you don't really need anything other than your yoga mat, your surfboard or your runners. And I think there's a lot to say about simplicity in such a complex and busy world. I mean, there's also that component of nature, you know, maybe yoga is a little different. I would say that the practice of yoga really draws off the knowledge of nature rather than necessarily needing to be in nature, but the practices of surfing and running actually get you out there and into the felt experience of what it's like to feel like you're a part of the natural elements. Like culturally, again, it's like we we forget, right? Like we think that we're separate from nature. We think that we're for some reason different or superior to the natural landscape and other beings around us. But these practices like like running, which usually happens outdoors and, and ideally somewhere in a nice, nice place. And likewise, surfing, like this feeling of actually being a part of the current of the ocean, like these practices for me are the things that really ground me back down. It gets me out of this complex story and narrative that I like to tell myself about what life is and actually puts me into the experience of life and in the moment. And then additionally, on top of that, it's it's this flow state, it's this ability to actually just completely drop everything else that I feel is important and completely be with what's happening and to move with that current. And, and like, it sounds so like cliche, you know, but, but likewise, the practice of yoga, it's this opportunity actually to get into my body and follow the current of my body and, and notice like that moment to moment experience where nothing else actually matters. And, and it's so restorative for the human mind to drop into those moments of flow state. It's so, so, so profound for our mental health when we're able to connect into something that's a little more transcendental, that really takes us out of our own limited self and into something that's way, way, way bigger than we can ever conceptualize with our thinking mind. So for me, that's why those practices relate to one another and why I love them so much. But 
I mean, from a physical perspective too, right? Like if you're a surfer, it's really good to have nice mobile shoulders that you can cultivate through yoga and breath practices for being held underwater for a long time. And likewise with running, right? Like you can probably speak to that better than I can, but how important is it to know how to breathe properly when you're running, especially in distances? So does that answer your question? Oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely love that answer. That was so amazing. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I think it is like this connection that you feel between like the environment yourself your body the ground um it is amazing all three of those sports I think maybe we're biased but I do think those are probably the three best forms of movement that you can do (laughs) and you touched a little bit on breathing so this is something obviously we all do a little of us actually think about it um why is tapping into breathing and controlling the breath so important like what sort of benefits can that have Mm. yeah so the breath is our direct connection point to our nervous system. Uh, and if we think about the nervous system, you know, and I'm going to speak super, super simply here, it's obviously way more complex than this, but there are generally sort of two main states of the nervous system, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. And you can think of these two different states as either our fight flight response. So when our brain perceives threat, whether it's actual real threat in the environment or a threat that we think up in our mind, versus the rest and digest which is our more natural waking state when the body and the mind is in a state is in homeostasis essentially and so the way that we breathe has the ability to directly shift our nervous system from one state into the other and because we live in such a fast-paced chaotic world we spend way 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 too much time in this fight flight response because unfortunately our nervous system doesn't know the difference between a real threat, like you know, you always hear this example of the tiger in the jungle versus the threat of anxiety, the worry that we're not going to make the deadline on time. And so our body responds in the same way. It's like we literally, our body responds as if we need to either fight or to run away. And so it's so important then to be able to tap into practices that help us to come down from that heightened state back down to homeostasis. So working with something like the breath, learning how to particularly extend the length of our exhale breaths is such a direct gateway into coming back to that rest and digest response of the body. And, you know, there's only so much we can take, right? Like if we think about the concept of burnout, it's because we spend so much time in this stressful state that eventually the cup overflows. And when the cup overflows, that's when we go into that complete, you know, when we crash, that's it, because we run out of capacity. So by learning to work with our breath, to use our breath to downregulate ourselves, it's like we're empty in the cup. And each time we empty empty the cup, it decreases the likelihood of it overflowing and turning into crash. Yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting hearing you talk about it because, yeah, I feel like at the moment I am close to the cup overflowing, <laughs> like just going a million miles an hour. And it's, yeah taking time to do things that can calm you down and get to that parasympathetic state. I think this conversation has come at a good time and I'm sure some listeners are probably in similar situations and maybe feeling really highly strung and stressed out. So this is your, this is your time to care for yourself and listen Mm -hmm. to Zoe's, Zoe's amazing advice and wisdom. Sorry. I also think that there's something to say, just kind of looping back to this, um, you know why people are drawn to running and yoga and and surfing and it's interesting because a practice like running really is quite stimulating for the body and so often people who really thrive off busyness and off moving really quickly can be drawn to something like running or things like 
you know, power yoga and vinyasa yoga and all these like sort of intenser yoga practices. And I think there's something really important to recognize in that often the practices we choose, despite of course being so good for us in so many ways, can also be feeding into the intensity and the stress, which is why I think it's so important to recognize that and then to also pair in or tie in practices that help us to do the opposite, which again is why the the combination of yoga and running can be so powerful because for someone who's constantly on the go, on the go, on the go, and their only movement practice is to run, then think about what that might be doing for the nervous system, just like this constant feeding, feeding, feeding and agitation. So to bring in something like a mindfulness practice or, you know, a yin yoga practice or even even any kind of yoga practice really for some people out there, just to help balance out some of that stimulation, just to help us just every now and again come back to that more relaxed state so that, again, as I said, we can just help to empty that cup a little bit. Because, you know, not all practices are weighted as equal for all people. It's like some people need different practices at different times. And I think that the the bigger that our toolkit for things like combating stress and burnout and just that constant overload of life, um, yeah, it feels really important. Just the more that we have, then the more benefits and the more we have to get out of those types of things. Does that, do you guys know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 100%. It's funny because we always tell runners that, how important running rest days are which is essentially still going for a run but like easy running and pulling back your pace and making sure it's really slow because I believe you still can get into that flow state and it isn't such high intensity if you're running slow but yoga is kind of that next step to be like no you don't even need to be essentially moving you could lay on a mat and just lay there <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. for you but for a runner's mind who's speaking as an addicted person to running um you know, it can be really hard to be like I don't want to like switch out my run for a yoga session but actually that yoga session is probably going to benefit me way more than going for that run yeah that's it and even if you think about like fitness levels like someone who's very fit at running and and gets to that flow state a lot more often than someone who's new to running and the runs that they do probably are quite challenging all the time. Like that's not going to get any flow state really um, until you've maybe trained for a little while and, and gained that fitness as well. Uh, so, yeah, because I definitely have a lot of runs which are like, you know, quite hard or slogs and I feel like, you know, my body's tired. Whereas when you do get that flow state, then it feels almost meditative, but it's totally you and far between. Um I feel like you've kind of covered them all uh, with everything, but alongside breathing and, you know, mindfulness, are there any other things that people can do to help to de-stress and I guess um, calm down after moving a million miles an hour all the time? Yeah. I mean, I harp on about this quite a little bit and I was just thinking about it before as, as we were chatting and um, it's, for me, the practice of aligning my life with my values, which might sound like a little bit ambiguous or a little bit broad, but I guess to circle back on your initial question, which was like, what got you into the practice of yoga? And as I said, I kind of explained the story, but what happened beyond that was that I was working in advertising. I was working a nine to five office job and just noticing how challenging it was for me to find meaning within that particular structure. And I didn't know this at the time, but in hindsight, looking back, what I was starting to realize through coming into the practice of yoga and building more self-awareness was that at that time, my life really wasn't in alignment with my values. And so through this this practice really of self-understanding, what I came to articulate was 
who I really was, like who I was beneath all of the expectations and the noise and who that person wanted to be and wanted to get out of life. And again, like this is in hindsight, right? So it wasn't so conscious at the time, but what I started to do was make really small changes to the way that I was living and the direction that my life was heading so that eventually I've popped out like, you know, really sort of in the last couple of years at this point where I can actually look at my life and and most decisions that I make, I reference check against my value systems. And so now I'm in this position where I've I've built this life for myself that feels really congruent with what I believe in. And that's going to look really, really different for everyone, right? Like values are very individualized. They definitely change across time. There are some that will remain consistent, but you know, so to come back to your question, it's like, well, how can people support themselves in the busyness and the chaos of life? And what I have found in personal experience is that the more of my life that I build around what I value, the easier it is for me to be in the busyness because that busyness takes on a whole different kind of meaning. So no longer am I just busy kind of working towards things that I actually don't care so much about, but I'm busy and I'm working towards things that really fill up my cup. And of course, that's also a balance because almost to your um, uh, knowledge, Esther, like, okay, recognizing, because you you guys are in the same position, right? You're you're building this business that feels really valuable and meaning to you, but that's not to say that that doesn't make you immune towards things like burnout and overstress. So of course, you still, like, I still need to check in with myself and I still need to make sure that I'm maintaining good practices and, and kind of broadening my toolkit. But at the same time, like taking this higher perspective, being able to look down on my life and be like, you know what, this is amazing. I'm really proud of myself. And then that confidence piece comes in, right? Like this self-validation of like, hey, if we look at this trajectory of your life and how it's kind of changed and shifted across time, like that's great. And so, yeah, I might go through stages which feel a little more chaotic and a little busier than others. But in the grand scheme of things, like how good is this? So I guess for anyone listening who is trying to think about how they can meet the craziness of life, what I would say is to take a moment to get really sure and clear on your values. You know, there's so many resources out there, like literally Google, what are my values? And there's a million different things out there that can help you to get really clear on that. And I'm not suggesting that people need to then go out and quit their job and, you know, make these, you know, dump their boyfriend and make these huge big life changes. Like it's not really about that because I would say that you could also thread values in small ways, in the way that you're already living. Like what if you were to, you know, maybe you don't love your job. Maybe your job does cause you a little bit of stress because you don't love it, you know, but what if you were to approach your job in a different way? What if you were to understand that actually one of your greatest values is stability and perhaps that job, despite it not being your life's purpose, provides you that sense of stability, So you can kind of see how there are different ways to, I guess, approach the mindset towards the way that your life is already structured as a way of, I guess, conceptualizing it against your values and how just in that process, actually, just to to know what you're doing and why you're doing it can have such a profound impact on then the mindset that we take and we create towards that thing and help to really put our mind at ease. Or help at least to create a little bit of clarity so that whatever the next decision is, we can come at it from a place of like real conscious awareness. So that it's kind of, it's not so much like a, a short-term strategy. It's more of like a broader outlook on life, but it's something that has had such a profound impact on the way that I live and my experience of well-being inside of that. 
um yeah yeah I mean I love the idea of like writing down your values um I think it's definitely something that has helped me in the past a couple of years ago this is a bit of a sidetrack story but based on figuring out what my values were a couple of years ago I was bullied to the point I was having to get psychological help to work through those challenges and and it turned out, you know, after being a couple of years of being in a, in this kind of environment that wasn't right for me, I ended up writing down my values on a piece of paper and figuring those out and realizing actually I wasn't living in line with my values because I wasn't the person who I wanted to be because I was in the wrong situation with the wrong people that didn't kind of light me up. And it took, you know, two years to actually figure out that that was the cause of it and and I wasn't in the right place and once I kind of wrote down those values I do check in on them all the time and make sure that I am, am aligned to them and removing myself from those situations that weren't making me feel good and finding people that did align to my values and surrounding myself with them as well it is crazy when you are aware of them and um, the decisions you make based on that as well it's super helpful you've been through your own challenges Zoe in the past um, and having only known you for about a year now it is so clear to me how much you dedicate yourself to help others where do you think that comes from do you think your challenges in your own life has taken you down this path absolutely and I think that that would be true for for most for most people um I mean a big thing for me you know particularly around the the therapeutic side of my work um is breaking down the stigma around seeking therapy because when I first went and saw a therapist I didn't tell anyone I was so embarrassed like I didn't tell a soul I you know I secretly googled a therapist and I booked it during a time where my housemates wouldn't know that I was out and and I did that for a really really long time because I was I was so embarrassed with where I was at internally that I I, I held so much shame I didn't want anyone to know about that and so now you know as I many years later and I reflect back on that journey, it's like, yeah, some part of me has made it my life's mission to make sure that other people don't go through that, you know, because again, if we come back to, you know, what would it be like to step into our confidence and to, to recognize that, you know, we're capable to show our full self to the world and that whatever and whoever that is, is totally enough then, you know, I want people to be able to feel really empowered in seeking help to get to that part, to get to that place within themselves that they feel comfortable to do that. But it's funny because the thing that was going to help them get them there is prevented by the thing that they want to get to. So it's tricky. So I'm really trying to start conversations that build up people's confidence in seeking therapy and recognizing that it's actually not something to be ashamed of it doesn't mean that you failed as a human being it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you it's actually one of the most courageous and empowering steps that a person can take in order to build themselves up so that they can start to actually live in that way that they wanted to so that they can start to align their life with their values from a place of confidence and knowing and so that they can just have someone to lean on when life gets stressful like we should all everyone deserves support even if you know, there's so many people who say, you know, I'm, I'm, I've had a great life and I, I don't know if I need therapy. And, and totally, maybe you don't, but isn't it true that it's easier to find a therapist when you feel like things in your life are going well, you know, because then you already have that support system and someone to lean on when things start to, you know, shit starts to hit the fan because it will, because it always does. That's the nature of life. So, you know, do I feel like my life experiences and my own struggles have informed what I'm doing now? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, if I, if I, 
kind of zoom out even further and look back even deeper totally. I think that, you know, my experience with self-love and and confidence and especially with my relationship to my body like that's just been a massive massive journey for me that I'm very much still on and that's why I love the work that you guys are doing like just resonates so strongly but it just I guess more subtly it informs who I am as a therapist now, if we think about you know, my practice of psychotherapy being really relational and relatable and wanting to come from that place of like, I've been there, you know, I know what it's like to, to feel ashamed of oneself and, and to, you know, disconnect from the body. That now I, 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 I kind of come from this positioning of like, but there's hope, you know, because if I can do it, so can you. So it's an unfolding process. And I think that everything that happens to us in life just creates a platform to then make our next move. And you know, I'm sure that my continual life experience will will continue to forge the direction of what happens next. Yeah, I'm sure you're helping so many people with, you know, taking your life experiences and then all your studies as well. I guarantee you're changing so many people's lives and even the way you talk and yeah, everything you speak about aligns so much to what we do at Femi as well. And we know that we're helping people. So I know that you will be helping so many as well. It's really sad hearing, yeah, that there's still shame associated with speaking to someone. And I think it makes me think about my granddad. Uh, he was in World War II and like he is still alive. He's probably one of the only, you know, last, um, yeah, last people from World War II that are alive from New Zealand. But he never got help after going and fighting in the war and I just think about you know we're all dealing with stuff day to day and grief and and different experiences and he actually went through you know physically being in a war and never got help and his mental health was you know impacted for his whole life and it's it's really sad and yeah we literally everyone on this earth probably needs to speak to someone whether that is like a loved one or you know maybe you do need more professional help um, because you can't always get that help from a loved one and it can also be you know um, hard on them as well so no I appreciate you saying that and anyone who's thinking about seeing someone I hope that you take Zoe's advice and and go and take those steps and and speak to someone um, but it feels like out there and Liz and I have spoken about it as well there's so much misinformation but there's also so much information about health and well-being and it's just a hard space to know like what to do and where to start. But if our listeners could take one piece of advice from you around mindful health today, what would it be? Yeah, you're 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 right. It can be um so hard to decipher through all of the noise what sort of ideas we find to be true and what kinds of things we find helpful personally because everyone's journey is going to be different, right? I mean, if there's one piece of advice that I think will be helpful for the majority of people out there, it's to develop some kind of practice, some kind of practice that brings you back to yourself, like whether it's yoga or whether it's meditation or whether it's some other kind of movement practice, running or surfing or whatever it might be, just something that you can practice consistently over time that helps you to develop some kind of relationship with yourself. Because the beautiful thing about a practice is that, you know, and it sounds cliche, (laughs) but it is, it's about practice, not perfection. It's about progress over perfection. So practice is something that we, that we kind of 
continually do time and time again, regardless of our mood. So I often say this, I I heard it somewhere and I I can't credit because I don't know who it is, but it's to follow your habit and not your mood. So if we think of a practice almost like a habit, you know, what is it to, what is it like to show up to that thing day in and day out, even on the days where we don't feel like it, because it's in those moments where we don't feel like it, but we do it anyway, that we start to build our self-confidence. When we start to build our self-confidence and when we continually show up, we start to learn more about ourselves. We start to understand who we are and what the blocks are in terms of, you know, meeting ourselves every day and showing up the way that we want to. So, you know, regardless of what that practice is, it doesn't matter so much, but just, you know, I guess it could be helpful to think about whether you're the type of person who's moving really quickly and perhaps you might need to cultivate a practice that slows you down or on the opposite of that, maybe you're the kind of person who's moving a little bit too slowly, who feels a little bit bogged down. And then maybe you would find value in finding a practice that is going to help to kind of build a little bit of energy, but regardless of what it is, just something that you can hold onto as a central pillar on this journey of building self-awareness, on this journey of, you know, cultivating more mindfulness in life so that you can just start to to practice listening, you know, start to practice showing up for yourselves, you know, even when you don't feel like it. Yeah, and that's like the beauty of sport, right? I think there are so many positives out of playing sport and doing movement, but I think um, that there is, is definitely a big part of it. I think even at the start of this conversation, you spoke about kind of the universe showing up for you at the right times. What is your take on things happening to us or for us? Ah, it's, I mean, it's a loaded question. (laughs) There's so many different perspectives on that. Um, And it all comes down to your mindset. It all comes down, in my opinion, anyway, it comes down to how you decide to see things. But, you know, I think, to come back to this, you know, if we really step back and observe nature, you know, look at the way that nature unfolds, you know, it's always evolving towards something. There's always some kind of movement. Nothing is stagnant and nothing is stuck. And likewise, you know, often we go through really challenging life experiences and we feel like this is going to be it. This is going to be the way it is forever. We find it really hard to look beyond that. No, but if we take this broader perspective and realize that it would be literally impossible for us to be separate from nature, you know, we're all born from the same thing, that there's no exception to us. If nature's always constantly moving forwards and evolving, then so are we. And that our life experiences, again, are, are going to fall into that same category. I think that there's something to say for this practice of listening that we touched on earlier and you know, the more that we are caught up in the busyness of our minds, constantly projecting into the future, the worries of the future or ruminating on the past, we miss the richness of what's happening in this moment. And when we're able to develop this intimate relationship with moment to moment presence, that to me is when the the signs, if you will, or, you know, the language of the more subtle reality begins to speak to us. And you know, when we can learn to actually tap into that deep, deep listening to this, you know, really stepping out of the story that we're telling ourselves and into what's happening now, then that's when we can start to understand, you know, what might be calling us forwards or what actually might be right in front of us that we haven't stopped to notice yet. Because there's been so many instances in my life (laughs) when I actually pause, slow down and stop and look what's in front of me that I realize the answer's been staring at me in the face the whole time. Or, you know, again, in my experience, sometimes it just comes down to a decision. I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of the most indecisive people on the planet. My mind goes back and forth, back and forth a million times. 
But what I'm learning slowly, and this is very much a practice for me, that often when you make the decision, when you draw the line in the sand, when you stop ruminating on the what if, what if, what if, that that's when everything else starts to follow. So that when you actually decide, no, this is what I'm doing and this is when I'm doing it, then life responds. Life responds to decisiveness. And when you when you allow yourself to tap in and to listen and to slow down, then so often you know exactly what the next step is after that or those things just miraculously fall into place for you that you never thought would. So that's my view on it, but <laughs> take yeah, it or leave it. Honestly, <laughs> incredible. I could listen to you all day. I, I feel like we're getting our own personal therapy sessions. So thank you. That was really powerful. Um, I'm going to go back and listen to that probably 10 times over. We have two quick fire questions to finish. The first one being, if you could go back in time to your 15-year-old self, what would you tell her? Oh, wow. Yeah, I think about this a lot, actually. <laughs> I could go back to my 15 year old self I would tell her not to diet I would tell her that her body is exactly the way that it was designed to be and that dieting is not the answer okay so concise but that's I think yeah. we would all agree yeah I think all of us here same here I would have said the exact same thing <laughs> um and the last quick fire question is, what is your purpose on Mother Earth? My purpose on Mother Earth is to raise collective consciousness, yeah, to help people to step outside of themselves, to cultivate self-awareness so that they can cultivate universal awareness. And I think that that's why I'm drawn to these practices like yoga and psychotherapy because, yes, they are very different means and methods, but they're leading towards the same thing, which is a greater sense of awareness towards self, other, and the world. Wow, so incredible, Zoe. You are you have a lot of wisdom. Um, it's been so amazing listening to you speak, and we'll definitely have to get you back on the pod at some point because I feel like we could dive into many of those topics pretty deep with you but thank you so much for your time today I know our listeners will have absolutely loved this conversation as well those who want to give Zoe a follow we would tag Zoe into our show notes along with her website so you can go and check her out but if you want to get in touch with us you can head to our instagram at benny.co or head to our website benny.co but Esther and I will be back in your ears next week but thank you so much Zoe again thanks for having me guys